In the endless reaches of the universe, there once existed a planet known as Krypton. It had brought forth a race of supermen whose mental and physical powers were developed to the absolute peak of human perfection. And a save made by Caleb Patterson Sewell. He has been Superman today for Jacksonville. Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, the instant of Krypton is now the man of steel. Welcome to No Pyro No Podcast, our Armada Fancast, where we talk all things Jacksonville Armada. I'm Daniel Dad Johnson, your host, and we have Derek. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Ian. Hi there. And we have a special guest this week. We'll give you a little clue. He's an Armada record holder who doesn't do laundry. Because his sheets are always clean. That guest is the one and only Superman, Caleb Patterson Sewell. So sit back and relax as we talk to Caleb. Caleb, how are you doing today? Great. Thank you for having me, guys. Oh, well, it's a pleasure and an honor for you to uh, join us on the series we're doing over the history of the Armada. So we'll get dive right in with some questions. So you're originally from Tennessee, but you moved to Australia when you were really young. How was growing up in Kings in Queensland? I have a friend that's uh, from Townsville in Queensland, okay. and he always told us he rode kangaroos to school uh, every morning. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah, no, that's just uh, what we would tell the American guys when we come on holiday. So that was that was all fun. But uh, no, I I grew up in Australia. My mom's um, Australian. My my dad's American. Um, so I grew up over there a lot. And yeah, that was really school and home and growing up and um, you know the first foray into the sport, if you will. So yeah, it's a lot different to America in, in many ways, but the, yet there's a lot of similarities. But um, yeah, it's just so far away to get to right right i, I, I was guessing you're, you, you're glad you chose soccer over say uh rugby league or something like that probably. yeah i had to choose between cricket and soccer <clears throat> and okay. then uh, yeah it's one of those where soccer you always knew you know, at least in my mind you kind of had an idea by the time you're between 14 and 16 if you ever had a future in the sport so that was easier to know as opposed to cricket some guys are only getting their first real contracts at 29 30 31 so you never really knew where you were going Right, cricket's not as global of a sport. My friend uh, from over there introduced rugby league here in the United States. Helped form, awesome. helped form a league here, and uh, it was uh, quite the journey for him. But uh, that's uh, an interesting uh, place to, to start out from. So you were part of some high-profile academies coming um, through the years. Anderlecht, uh, Sheffield Wednesday, and Liverpool U19s, if I am uh, correct in my research. At that time, you made a decision to take your journey to Europe and pursue your soccer career. What was that? How did that come about? Was that something you were looking for or did they find you? Yeah, it's a good question. It was, it's, so the way the, the soccer landscape in Australia at a youth level, it's, it's, um, the pathway is very much, you, you play local club soccer in your city. Um, mm-hmm. and that city's within a region. Then they form a regional team. If you make that, you go to the state tournament from the state tournament. If you are selected in the state team, you then would go to Sydney every year and play in the national tournament. Um, and that's where all the clubs in Europe would come because they knew, you know, so far away, if they're going to come, they're going to come and get bang for their buck. And that, you know, is meant to be where the top youth players are. And, mm-hmm. and um, so they would all come and watch and the first place I went was actually Italy. It was to um, a club called Torino Calcio. And it was, yeah, look back, it was um, a really 
promising opportunity, but I was way too young um, when I went there. I think I was 14 or 15, and they put me with the U19s. I didn't speak the language. I mean, they took my computer and my cell phone and all sorts of crazy stuff. So I was like, right, this is not for me. Um, but then as time went on, um, some doors in, in, in Belgium and the UK opened. And, yeah, it was one of those where a, once I was in, in England – once I turned 18, I could no longer get a work permit um, because then you become an independent and you have to meet those rules. And at that time, it's slightly changed now, just actually this year. But um, you had to play 75% of your national team games. They had to be in the top 50 or 80 or whatever it was in order to get a work permit. Um, and they would differentiate between a sports and entertainment visa as opposed to if I wanted to go work behind a bar. I could get a job all day long, live there, no problem, all good. But to play football once I turned 18, um, yeah, no go. So that's kind of where that, that journey ended. Um, and then we, we moved on. But nonetheless, it was worth, you know, everything we did because that gives you your education and your experiences and stuff like that. Sure, and you get to see a bit of the world as well. Absolutely. So. So leaving from there, you ended up playing for, uh, in the U.S. after you left England, uh, played for a USL2 side, and then you were signed to MLS New York Red Bulls um, before landing for, uh, at the time, USL club, uh, the Carolina Ra uh, Railhawks, mm -hmm. who then transitioned to the NASL, which was a newly formed league at that time. Um, what was your thoughts on this new breakaway league that was being formed in the U.S.? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm, I'm trying to rack my brain back to how all that went down. Now, I, I think um, at the time it was seen as a positive because I think at, at that at that time there was a lot of clubs uh, coming in and folding. I think it was um, there was a team on the West Coast. I, I clearly remember one year when I was playing, they started off, I think it was in San Francisco, if, if memory serves me correct, and um, they started off with a – all this promising partnership with a club in Spain that was in, I think it was Alaves that was in the, the La Liga. And um, then they got relegated. So their owner stopped putting in money. And then the team ended up playing like one goalkeeper in goal and the other goalkeeper at striker. They ended up participating in matches that had no benches and no kit man and no nothing. So I think there was this kind of, um, group of owners from best I understood that was like, right, okay, we need to have a more stable um, sort of environment here where it's not opening and closing of league uh, of teams and franchises. So they formed the NASL. I think at that moment, um, it at least to the players, it was billed as like a higher end league, trying to be a higher end league. Um, and then, yeah, that's just kind of how it all, all took off. Good stuff. So um, after a few stops in Europe, Ryo KC, you joined the Armada in 2017, and it was the Armada's uh, third season. What attracted you to coming to play here in Jacksonville under Mark Lowry? Yeah, it's a really good question. There was many things, I think, about um, – I, I know from when I was previously in the States, the, the first year or two at the Armada was full of um, – this vibrant culture, really good marketing, full stadiums, and and people knew like, wow, okay, that's a good place to go. Um, I equally knew Daryl um, Sattler, who was involved on Mark's staff, um, and then I had a a newborn, so it was I was playing in Portugal um, for quite a good club that had had some financial difficulties at the time, so it kind of made 
it was a tough decision to actually leave there because we were doing well, but the opportunity to to play for the Armada, uh, what they were trying to do in a in a really cool, um, you know, the, the fan base was there and they clearly showed that there was um, a lot of positivity there. And then obviously the location being by the beach and so on. So, yeah, we all things, you know, put together. We, we thought that was the best move to come back. Um, I spoke to Mark and and Nate and, and the crew, and they basically outlined how they wanted to play, what they were trying to get to, and then obviously the, the club was being owned by the league at that time. Um, so, yeah, it was it was um, a, a really good decision you, when you sort of reflect and look back. Um, one of the more happier moments of my career playing there. It was a really cool group of guys, um, a, a place we enjoyed living. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was just sad that, at the end of that season when we had so much momentum and put together a really good group that um, the league sort of fell apart because I think they were on the verge at that time, especially with, with uh, Robert coming in and, and owning the team. Um, I think it was fair to say where he took over at um, mm-hmm. and then where we were at the end of the year, night and day. And I think he's a genius with his business plan and, and the marketing that he put behind it, like a, a very, um, yeah, the, the, the league at that time should have taken his blueprint um, and, and gone with that because he, he did some fantastic work in a short amount of time. Man, I, we, we're going to have to like pivot. You like jumped into like about four of our questions. Right yeah. now. So it, it's, I, I love it. <laughs> so, so you knew coming in here that um, the, the previous owner, Mark Frisch, he was gone. The, the team was Lingon. Um, and you guys were moving from the baseball ground to Hodges. Um, how, how did you think that was going to, um, like, did, did you think the club was going to be stable where this was going to be a long-term thing for you or, uh, what, what was, what was your thoughts going into that? Yeah, no, not at all. I thought that it was very much like one year and we'll see kind of what happened for a variety of reasons. I think, uh, at the time there was limited budget, um, I, I, I know there was a limited budget. Um, <laughs> And, and, and you, just, you just got into another thing we were going to discuss. So you're, <laughs> you're like three steps ahead. Yeah. Uh, I, I think being fair, they did, the club did what they had to do. They went and got some of the experienced guys there and, and, and what they did w- w- was amazing. So yeah, did I think it was long-term? I think the, the short answer is we had no clue. Um, I think we all hoped that there would be um, some sort of ownership coming in, frankly speaking at the time. Um, the NASL, I had zero hope that they would come through because I had dealt with Rayo where they owed players money, me specifically, and the league did nothing about it. Um, and so I thought if they don't find an owner, don't expect the league to do anything about it because they didn't have the leadership at that time to do anything about it. And they didn't, frankly, they didn't care. Um, so that's unfortunate when, when, yeah, it, it was because there's, there's, there's ways that they could have gone about handling it. And I think it was just easier for them with Rayo just to sweep that under the rug and pretend it never existed um, and hope that they kept the teams around. But the league itself was very good in terms of standard and what they had. But pertaining to Armada, if it wasn't for Robert, um, yeah, I think that there was no future and you're probably not in the position you're in, you know, what, what in a couple of weeks with a decision sort of or an announcement coming, we'll call it that. Um, without Robert, that doesn't happen. Yeah. So focusing on the soccer thing, um, you're one of the new faces that year in 2017, uh, alongside with, uh, people like Drew Becky, Aaron Pichacolin, Kalen Ryden, uh, Jack Blake, uh, JC Banks, 
who would all be core people in that season. What was your impression of the makeup of the squad that year? Yeah, it was actually really cool. Um, I, I think they went for guys that needed an opportunity, right? So they went, they, they invested in pitch because you knew you needed a captain, you needed a leader. Um, he was probably at the end of his career. I think he retired after that, but pitch was um, a great leader, very steady Eddie. Um, and then and he's, saw, he's still here in Jacksonville as well. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, and yeah. it's crazy that there's, you know, not crazy, it's for a good, good, good reason. Guys decided to sort of, stay in Jacksonville after, right? It's a beautiful yeah. place to live. But um, I, I think they they went, um, they knew that I wanted to go to the MLS and, and go that route again. So, okay, he's not coming to Jacksonville just to be in Jacksonville. Obviously, if there's a way that we can shift and move him or give him a platform, same thing with JC. JC is one of my best friends until today. We're actually going on family holiday together um, at the end of the year. Um, my wife is now uh, godmother to their daughter. So, yeah, there's a lot of um, overlapping, you know, things from from that time in Jacksonville. But ultimately, the squad, I think we were very competitive. I, you know, we, we, we should have been in the playoffs that year, I think. Um, I was it a yeah, again, jumping, jumping in front. <laughs> some... <laughs> See, that's that's the goalkeeper's brain. He's thinking yeah. three steps ahead. <laughs> so, no, but but in short. Really cool group of guys, um, little to no egos um, in the squad, which is always great because guys can get together, hang out, um, connect. And I think there was a good mix between younger guys, guys with families, guys with longtime girlfriends and wives and so on. So, yeah, really, really enjoyable group of guys. Um, and they did a really good job putting that team together. Nice. You're talking about you're playing, you know, Mark playing with Mark or playing for Mark Lowry. Should I say, what was he like as a coach compared to some of the other uh, coaches you experienced up to that time? Was there anything special about his style or his uh, persona, or I guess, yeah, just the way um, he did things? I, I think you sum Mark up at that time was like hungry, like overly hungry. Was knew that was his chance to sink his teeth into a project show that he knew what he was doing and move on in the future and go up the ladder. And he's done that. And, and Mark was, um, yeah, he, he went really in depth on everything. You knew he was organized. He was, um, a very, very good coach. I'm still friends with Mark until today. We speak often. Um, I have a lot of time for, for Mark, but as a coach, he's, he's, his, his work on the field is, is, is very good. As a player, that's what you, you go on is like, how is it day to day on, on the pitch? Um, he was, he was very good. We had a, we had a style of playing that I think at the time in the league, nobody else did. We, we played out. I remember we played a, um, you know, they were asking us to play out from the back under pressure. That's who we are. We're going to do it and either get on board with it now, or like you don't, you, you can't play. Um, and we, we played a, a preseason game, and um, we played this team. It was called – it's where the kids went to school, Montverde Academy. Right. Um, and so, you know, pro team, we expect that you should take care of that team, and that's the expectations, albeit it's preseason. And we started playing out from the back, and we were getting absolutely whacked. And I remember thinking, holy shit, like this is going to be long. Um, and – at the end, Mark's like, I don't care. Just keep playing. Like, we're going to get on with it. We're going to just keep playing. Keep playing. Um, so credit to him that, you know, 
most people would have been scared in, in that preseason game playing against a bunch of kids that just whacked us because we kept turning the ball over on the top of our box and, and, and we're poor. Um, but we stuck to the guns. And then that year, I mean, it was ridiculous how much we played and played through people. I think I had um, the most passes in, in a season I've ever had um, at the back. And Mark gave us the freedom as a goalkeeper to actually play, not just hoof balls down the field. Um, and you would see teams come and they would think, right, we're going to go and press them. They're going to turn the ball over. And 15 minutes into the game, they're sitting at the halfway line because they're sick of chasing shadows. So <laughs> um, it, it was it was enjoyable. I'd say his style for me as a goalkeeper where you get to use your feet and you get to, to join in and, and um, he made it realistic. It's not like some of the guys you see now play with their feet as a goalkeeper playing as like a second center back and all this nonsense looks a little crazy for me. Maybe I'm old school, but um, he – he allowed us to play um, and it was really, really enjoyable. So again, that goes back into the year and, and how enjoyable it was. I think it was a mix of the group, the guys, the style, what we did, the staff, it was all in all very good, but yeah, a lot of time for Mark and what he's done and he's done um, very well everywhere he's gone. Hi Caleb, this is Ian. I can't get a word in edgeways when Derek <laughs> and Daniel start, so you haven't heard from me yet. Uh, in the interim between uh, Mark Frisch and Robert, when the league was running the uh, the club, we had heard rumours that because of the, the shoestring budget, everybody, it was an all-hands-on-deck kind of thing with everybody having to chip in with laundry and making meals and stuff like that. A, is that true? And B, how did that work for you as a group? Did it bring you together? Um, good question. I never did laundry. No. Um, so <laughs> he, he still uh, doesn't. <laughs> yeah. So I think that one's inaccurate because we had G who was a kit man and team admin and, and listen, they, I, they looked after us as best they could to the meal part. Um, we would at times have, um, like team and family get togethers. So we would store in order to save some money. Um, we would all make a, a plate or, or a, what, what do you call it? Like almost like the, the catering type stuff. Like you bring, dish, right. Yeah, yeah. You bring it in and everybody, wives, girlfriends and kids and the whole bit, we would go over to the field where we train, um, hang out, have a meal, get together. Um, but in no way was it, you know, we're having to bring our own food and all this sort of stuff. They did get us, catered lunches at times um they always had you know bagels and and uh milk and cereal and stuff in the mornings and yeah listen we, we with the shoestring budget we were well looked after um and and i think you know when you when you look back in in a way that that probably was part of our success is we didn't have all the bells and whistles like the thing we had was to turn up and play and roll your sleeves up there was not this kind of um prissiness about us, if you will, um, because it wasn't an option. <laughs> so don't be a prima donna because that's not an option. Um, but yeah, no, that 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 was um, part of it. And, and I actually look back now and thinking those meals and those things where we got together and it wasn't just the playing group, it's the wives, girlfriends and that sort of stuff, that that was part of us coming together as a group. Well, I seem to remember in every photograph of Zach Steinberger, he was uh, actually stuffing his face with something. So <laughs> food, couldn't, food couldn't have been too much of a problem. That's right. <laughs> oh, Jesus. So on the field, though, um, you guys were a tough group to score on. 
Um, and looking at the schedule, in the first six games, you guys had two clean sheets and let in four goals in, um, in the spring season. And in the spring season, you also had the second lowest goals allowed in the league. Um, you yourself had 10 clean sheets that year, um, which is actually in our modern record still. Um, why were you guys so hard to score on? Yeah, it's um, – well, try not to get too off, off topic here. I think part of it is we – we dominated with the ball at times. So we, you know, part of that, when you're on the ball, you have so much possession and you are, um, you know, you're, you're, you're getting into good spots higher up the field and you turn the ball over. Usually if you press the right way or repress your, you know, your regains are in good areas. You don't give up, you know, um, areas of the field so they can shoot and get shots off and so on. So I think that was a part of, of our DNA. But, but, but secondly, if you look at the guys we had, on our back line, Drew, Kalen, Pitch, Meshach, um, you know, we, we, there's, there's probably more in there that we had, we had um, a few others that, that throughout the year are all chipping in and playing games. I think we made Brian Rebellum a right back that year out of nowhere. Um, so again, there, there's, there's a part of it where we had good players Um and we just knew that that we we had confidence in each other to to defend the right way. I don't think there was a nastiness about us, like where guys are going through people and being like ridiculous. But we were just our organization shape, and I think we had some leadership voices there, which really matter um, when you're defending that are that are moving guys around the field. You're you're sniffing out stuff before it it can ever eventuate into you know shots and crosses and those sort of things. So. Um, yeah, we, we were pretty well buttoned up um, defensively. You probably won't thank me for uh, bringing this one up, but defensively you did hold one Armada record until recently. And it was because of a total numpty move on your part. Uh, you were the only Armada goalie ever to get sent off. So I have to ask, uh, you know, Jeezy Peeps, man, what were you thinking when you got yeah. that red card, <laughs> I um, tell them how you really feel, Ian. Yeah, no, uh, I I would love to say I wanted to get Kyle Nasta on the field, but that's not the real reason. Um, <laughs> so, he was a great great keeper as well. Um, I I remember they wanted me to play high off my line, come off my line. I did come off, and the ball stuck in the turf and hit me on the on the arm and uh it wasn't actually the ref that caught it was the linesman um and i remember thinking of all things you can do you'll stick your flag up for that um so uh yeah they did send me off um and i made sure i got every penny worth on my way off (laughs) and the fact that he remembers like everything that happened in that moment is great exactly yeah i uh we were playing it into the other week and we're playing against mark I said, do you remember this? And he started laughing. He's like, yeah, I remember this. I said, yeah. Anyway, I got sent off. Very good. <laughs> the, the bright side is that that was against Indy 11 um, at the time where Bart now coaches. And you guys won that game 4-1. to one. So it, it's that, that's kind of a big thing. <laughs> we did. And uh, the, the next game was an away game somewhere. I can't remember what it was. And, um, yeah, I hated it because it was like, you just want to play and you're in a good moment team's doing well and um yeah yeah we, we we don't need to bring up that away game i'm looking yeah, at I remember miami. <laughs> miami and it was a four nothing loss so right, we, yeah. we, we don't need to bring that one up 
So, uh, no, that was disappointing. But, um, yeah, I, I, I remember that. My family actually remembers that more than I because they, uh, they were all watching and, yeah, they, they often remember. I remember watching that game you sent off. So, okay, we could, we could sort of circle that back to something more positive, not the send-off. <laughs> well, don't feel too bad. I think, uh, Derek, you can maybe tell me, but was it last year that we had uh, the goalie got sent off? In no, the- it was actually, uh, it was the last game of the 2021 20, season, of the regular season. We were at Southern States, and uh, Patrick Pat- Gilly got uh, a double yellow. He he clipped a guy in the box, and then he, uh, he asked the ref... Um, a very uh, poignant question um, <laughs> that the ref was not appreciative of, so he gave him a second yellow in that moment. So you're not the you're not the sole holder of that. Nah, that's a shame. I'll take my ten clean sheets and the ring. <laughs> hold it, but now we're going to share it. So no and, and he was our goalkeeper coach last season. Oh, there you so, go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> our assistant. So I need to stand up. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, to move on, uh, you've touched on this already, but sometime in the fall season that year, uh, the team gets a new owner in Robert Palmer. What did this do for the team behind the scenes? Yeah, um, everything. I think um, it shaped how we move forward. Um, I mean, he, he t- what was the average gate that year? I don't know if I had to guess 2000 before he came. Um, and we 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 he came he came in he spoke he was um just genuine he took us to lunch one day um and he i remember sitting next to him while we're having lunch and we're just talking and he's um talking about the league and you know very just down to earth and i remember walking away and i was saying to my wife like yeah this guy's gonna be a very good owner like i think he gets it he's not like aloof he's not um clueless i think he knows you know, what the NASL is, what needs to happen. Um, and after that, I think it's it, it did like a complete 180 in the sense of at the end of the year, the gates were, don't correct me, I think there were over seven, 8,000 at some games, um, if, if memory serves me right. Um, he put in the, the you know, when, you, when we went over to the, to the stadium, there was nothing on the far side. There was no like video board. There was no nothing going on. So he builds this, um, this, this temporary, what do you call that? Like VIP zone with mm-hmm. tents and like suites. And, um, and it, it made a difference. I think he, he ended up having like a pop-up scoreboard or something like that, where we could show things on. Um, we, I remember being in my car and I thought, you know, I hear Robert's voice more than, 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 than my wife. He's on every radio station. <laughs> So, but he, he didn't just talk about RP funding. It was like RP funding and Jacksonville Armada. It always had a tie-in. Um, and he was very good at what he did. And then later found out kind of um, what he was doing with the TV piece and how he was joining the Jacksonville, Orlando, and I want to say maybe Miami or Tampa. He did. It, it was Tampa when he it's was different. trying to uh, do the Division Zero thing. Yeah, well, he had joined them together. And I didn't even know we're being broadcast down there. And I'm like, what, what, what goes on there? But obviously that all tied into his business and being able to sell TV ad slots and all the rest of it. And, and you know, he, he equally needs to um, make his money. And, and, and it was a genius idea because I, I was told that, that, that those, those markets together were like the number one 
um, TV audience in the country when you join them together. So um, again, very, very intelligent. Um, you know, there was times at the end of the year in Jacksonville where he had taken, I think, two or three players and sort of said, like, we're going to market around them. Um, I'd be at the shopping center, people coming up. Oh, I love seeing you on the, on TV playing the games. And we'd come to the stadium and people knew who you were. And it wasn't because of anything other than what Robert did, right? right. Um, so he, he was very, very good at that. Um, in the NASL needed to like frankly they should have just said right we don't we don't get it and you do you tell us what to do <laughs> and and that is what should have happened um but obviously the league folded but again he he changed everything there um and yeah from my part it was enjoyable um and and I spoke to him after um many times and yeah super nice guy it's awesome so the, you guys also had some um very memorable moments for the club on the field um there was two games that year that really stood out for me. One was a 1-1 draw versus the Cosmos when Zach Steinberger hit that scissor kick in the oh, yeah. 90th plus uh, five to tie the game. Yeah. And the other one was another one against the Cosmos, and it was a 4-4 shootout that had a goal from Charles Alondu in the 79th minute to tie the game. And then the refs call in the game as the Cosmos had a breakaway at the very death of the game that would have eliminated you guys from the playoffs uh, from the postseason if they got that breakaway and scored before you guys played the final game against the Deltas. Um, what do you remember from both of those games? So the 4-4 game, was that away or at home? That that was at home at Hodges. It was the, the okay. last home game, and it was um, right, right before the second to last game of the yeah, season. I think I got beat from distance, and I didn't see the ball, if that's the game. I don't know if it was. There was definitely one goal that was around playoff time. It could have been that game. I think it was. They, they, they struck it from, like, far out, and it went through bodies I didn't see. And you're like, Caleb, what are you doing? Um, but, yeah, I, I actually remember, not to get away from the 4-4 one, I remember the game at the Cosmos where we were up 3-0, and they came back, and it was like 3-3. And I remember just raging at the end of the game going, how, how are we on the road up 3-0 and we tie 3-3? Like I, I just I, I was dumbfounded. So, um, yeah, the, the, I, I briefly the, – the truth is I only recall a little bit of the 4-4. I'm sure that's the game I got beat from distance. So I'll put my hand up for that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good, man. Yeah, so I you guys – The Zach goal, though, that was – I remember being the other end. Um, and, yeah, that, that, that made the place go crazy. And uh, – yeah. I think he got a black eye from that uh, celebration too because yeah. he ran over to he, the fence. He ran over to the supporters. I know I hopped the fence, and I'm I'm a pretty heavy set guy, and um, jumped down from the elevated bleachers. And the look on the girls, the security girl's face, <laughs> was priceless. She was so scared because Zach charged us, we charged the, the fence, fence. Yeah. and it just it was pandemonium. Like it it was such a great moment That's for the club. Up. That's he he um it, it, probably not from a better guy than Zach too right that's very mm -hmm. much a Zach goal doing something special and uh, his celebrations like that's very Zach moment but uh, I do remember that that was very cool yeah so um, final game of the year you guys fly to San Francisco yeah you guys need a win you need the Cosmos to lose to Puerto Rico yeah you guys get the job done you get a two nothing win over the Deltas. But the Cosmos beat Puerto Rico 5-2, to two and the team was eliminated. Mm -hmm. You guys fly back home the next day, and at the airport, there's probably about 20 to 30 supporters from Section 904 to greet you guys at the airport as a thank you for the season. Yeah. 
What did that mean to you and the rest of the team? Yeah, look, I, I think it summed up what, what we had thought all along is that um, the fans had been there from day one, but equally it showed to us the club was going somewhere, that the fans would turn up, that we became relevant to the, to the fans to actually take the time to come there. Um, I think there's always the you know fans in the stadium and that sort of thing. But um, I, I would say in terms of players seeing that in, in, in ASL clubs, seeing that at the airport, yeah, that doesn't happen, right? So I, I, I think that was a very much a connection with the fans. Um, we didn't expect that. And I think it meant that, hey, we actually have connected here in this city. They, they care for us. We care for them. We're going somewhere. We, we are on a good trajectory here. Um, and then obviously what happened after that was the sad part, but for that moment, um, yeah, I, I believe nobody was expecting that whatsoever. And I guess, you know, we were thankful that people appreciated the season we had truth be told, we had no business fighting for playoffs. Um, when you, when you go back to budgets, um, when you go back to what we didn't have per se, um, compared to others. So I, I think we, we definitely overcompeted. And then we've, what, we just beat the eventual champions a few weeks later. You know, we beat them 2-0 place, right? So, um, yeah, it was just all in all, that was a really cool moment. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. And just so you know, we are we are all are still here. We'll say all. The, uh, the hardcore support, we're still here. Been fighting to keep that culture alive. And like I said, you, you guys were a big part of that as well. So we thank you for that. So, um, we're going to wrap up in just a moment. So tell us what you're up to these days. Yeah, um, I've taken the assistant sporting director job. I'm an assistant coach here at Memphis 901. So it's kind of a dual role on the field um, with with Stephen Glass um, as an assistant and then off the field um, in the front office doing things from recruitment and, and all that sort of stuff to – budgets and scouting and everything along um, Tim Howard's our sport director and one of our owners. So I work closely with him. Um, but on the day to day kind of in Memphis, in the office and, and, and doing that role. And um, last year, team went to a semifinal. Um, so it was a very good year. And uh, this year, we are in the playoff picture right now in a, in a good way. I think we're one point outside the top four um, for a home playoff match. Um, you know, we've We've had a, a really good season, and um, we brought in Stephen Glass, who was uh, head coach at, at uh, Atlanta United. He was at Aberdeen before he took this job. Um, and yeah, we're you know it's it's been a really great transition. I think a lot of times when you retire, it's what do I want to do next, and players go into you know figuring that out. I knew when I went back to Toronto as a player coach that I wanted to go down this track, um, but equally now that. I've done the sporting director role um, here. I think learning with Tim and 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 working with Steven, it's it's a really cool role um, to be in and one that 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 really uh, interests me moving forward to to really dig your teeth into a project and and go in depth to to scout and and figure out how you're going to wrestle this to to put a winning product. It's it's um it's a great job. What's it like working with the legend uh, Tim Howard? That must be great. Tim's, yeah, you mentioned he's a legend. I have the the utmost respect for him and what he's done um, for for me as well. He um, zero ego, um, incredibly intelligent football mind, intelligent in general, but 
his football mind is is top notch. Um, and I and I think you know as a as a any American goalkeeper, um, Tim Howard's the, the the cream of the crop. So um, yeah, to work with him is great. Um, and and we get along and have I would say a friendship um, to where you know he, he's just a top guy. Um, so very cool to be here working with him. And um, yeah, it's um, so far so good. I, I got one more question real quick. So you said you keep in touch with Mark Lowry. Do you remind him that Memphis 901 FC is ahead of Indy 11 in the standings? I'll do it at the end of the year when we're safe, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no, and, and Miami FC is uh, out of the playoffs. So you, that's got to be nice, right? Yeah, it, it, I, I did see that. So listen, I think Mark <laughs> and I spoke in the offseason and, in, in, you know, we talk about recruitment and players and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, like I think I think um, they, they're coming good now, right? Um, but we we have our own philosophy here in terms of how we, we go about it. So we spoke through those things but i'll remind him at the at the end of the year we we played them at their place a few weeks back and and here at home so we always have our moments each year he's got gabe on his staff as well still so um very close with gabe so we speak often so there, there's there's enough little jibes in there along the way that's awesome I, I, i'm so happy to see all you guys still keep in touch that that 2017 season was very special to us as fans and we we haven't we the only other year that I think we've really had that was 2022 um, for the club in the NPSL when we had that uh, team that was top of the table right in, in the NPSL so it, it's you you guys definitely gave us some great moments that year and it was thank it you was, no no you're welcome and thank you guys for the support I think for me when I look back at all the seasons and places that I've played that ends up being the most frustrating one at the end because anybody with half a brain knew that team was on the verge of something special. Um, and that's well, probably the most painful part because we couldn't actually back that next year up. If we had one more year, um, especially under like Robert's leadership and our ability to do things, I, I have no doubt that. that you look at what Lowry did when he went to El Paso. Yeah. That that first year, it just, yeah. that was the core. <laughs> right. How many, how many Armada players did he take with him, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think mean, he, I, I think he told us not long, I may have told Derek this not long ago, that he always keeps Meshack on a one-year contract so he can take him anywhere he goes. <laughs> he, he didn't tell me that. I, I heard that from a source when I went out to a game in El Paso. Oh, okay. So uh, it, his name might have rhymed with a uh, um, – uh, with uh, Reshack, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's Misha's. Uh, Misha's uh, followed him everywhere. Brian's followed him everywhere. Um, yeah, then now Jack's back there as well. Um, so yeah, he has his his crew, but um, rightly so. I think guys enjoy playing for him, right? So, yeah. um, but again, I think that was just a a really pain in the rear that we didn't get one more shot. Um, at, at that and as much as like I'm, i went on to the mls after that it would have been a tough decision to be like hey stay here and have a crack with this group or do you move on um i genuinely think that would have been a tough decision that's awesome i mean it's sad right but but you know it's awesome because we yeah we could we could have been world beaters we were onto something special yeah indeed 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 but uh hey who knows it's all coming full circle and i i think you know if they Get the stadium done and this new announcement, whatever that may be. 
um, <laughs> then you know, obviously there are uh, new beginnings for the for the club in a in a big way, and I I think they'll no doubt they'll do it they'll do it right. right. Nathan, we trust. Nathan, <laughs> we trust. Right. Nate, Nate knows what he's doing, um, and I think he's probably looking forward to a little bit of soccer action too, right? So, yeah. Uh, but no, Nate, Nate did a really good job there because again, in his role, and I've on this side now, you've you've got you know you, you get to see the, the the challenges, but yeah, his role was to keep the place afloat on a budget, a shoestring budget, and and keep people happy and all give the coach what he needs and all that sort of stuff. He did a very good job. All right, Caleb. Well, we thank you for your time. This has been uh, very entertaining. Um, thank you for, you know, reminiscing with us. And we're so happy to hear that it was such a great part of your, your career. That yeah. means a lot to us. No, thank you guys for having me. I got a lot of time for the people in Jacksonville. So anything I can do to help in the future or jump on, just give me a shout. Always willing to, to chat Armada. That's Appreciate great. it, man. And give JC our best, seriously. He, I will he's, do. He's I a will. legend. I will do. I'll let him know. This episode is sponsored by Print Kingdom. Print Kingdom is a local veteran-owned business offering custom screen-printed goods to help elevate and make your small business or organization stand out from the crowd. All right, that's going to wrap things up with... Uh... Superman, Caleb Patterson Sewell. So, what do you guys have to say about that? Well, that was really uh, quite interesting. Uh, just hearing uh, about um, someone who's brought up with great white sharks coming over here, <laughs> and uh, it was kind of interesting to you know to hear you know and this is another player we've heard from the you know their fondness of uh, Jacksonville and you know having great memories of their time here it makes you kind of warms the heart, doesn't it? Yeah, it just, it, it just, it's so bittersweet though. Like him talking about the league collapsing on what we could have built here, and like it, it's just, man, like it, it, it. He's just one of those guys that they bought into the long term plan, and it just because of other teams, we In couldn't follow that that uh, that story with them. Don't keep going on about it. I'm going to start bawling my eyes out oh, here. Oh, boy. Here we go. Another <laughs> episode of Sad Ian. Don't <laughs> talk to me about life. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna change Ian's name to Eeyore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let me stand here in the corner or just fall apart and rust. <laughs> Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, another one in our series of Armada History where we're kind of going back to the beginning and sort of working our way forward to where we're at now and what's ahead in the future. We hope everyone uh, tunes in again. Be sure to uh, like and subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts. Everyone have a great day. Bye. Bye. Go on,